heart, soul, mind, and strength. These are the four dimensions of human health. This is where growth happens, and it's addicting. Welcome to the Growth Junkies Podcast. Welcome to the Growth Junkies Podcast. And for our listeners out there wondering what it means to be a growth junkie, it means learning to grow intellectually, emotionally, relationally, and vocationally. That is what we're about here at the Growth Junkies. And we're excited that you're with us here today. Uh, my name is Ben Boast, and Kent Delhuse, as always, is with me. We are your hosts uh, to the Growth Junkies Podcast. And today we are joined by Brian and Joanna Dickinson. Uh, really interesting and amazing couple. You may have listened in the past to an episode that we did with Brian, who is a former U.S. Navy rescue swimmer and is a now a mountain guide and adventurer, um, probably best known, I guess, recently for having summited, well, it was nine years ago, but summited uh, Everest solo and then uh, had a blind descent in which he is a book out called Blind Descent about his experience. But today we are joined by his lovely bride, Joanna, who is a, a Christian counselor full-time. Is that, do you work full-time as a Christian counselor? Um, part-time. Part-time. But mm-hmm. we love that kind of training here at the Growth Junkies. Um, therapists are some of our most favorite people mm-hmm. and immensely learn how to live and grow and develop in uh, healthy lives. And because we're really focused, one thing we believe here at the Growth Junkies is that, is that holistic health and development is not a privilege of the wealthy. Um, it seems like sometimes it costs a lot of money to really get to a place of health. And, and yet if we can talk more practically and openly about things, they can be really valuable mm-hmm. to people. We also believe in a holistic approach to growth and development, which I mentioned earlier about uh, relational, emotional, intellectual, and vocational. So we are interested in your story um, very interested. And so I'm going to toss it to Kent. He's got, he's going to start off with some questions, but he's first going to tell his story because he, I think he needs some therapy today. Is that, is that yeah. I do. I do. The moment I find out we have a therapist with us, I'm like, okay, I need some help. Uh, I am excited about having you guys on um, because we want to kind of explore the relational dynamics, you know, uh, husband and wife and parents, you know, like how you manage emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, um, the adventures that Brian goes on and what he does, because he does a lot of, uh, some would call kind of crazy, <laughs> others would call um, just, just um, extremely taxing uh, endurance sort of challenges, been all over the world, hiked all the mountains, uh, a, a very prolific and amazing physical experience in this world and so has a lot to share about that uh but right now we want to explore with you guys as a couple how do you manage um that in your relationship because i think it would be hard i think it would be awesome but it would be difficult at times so like for example in the last episode with brian he told his story about um the blind descent coming down from everest uh snow blind and how he got to a point where he crashed you know, and, and kind of was running out of oxygen and was about to give up. And then he prayed. And then he sensed that other people were praying, including you, Joanna, mm-hmm. for him at that moment, which is pretty cool. And how uh, God seemed to answer that prayer. 
you know, and sort of prop him up and give him another bottle of oxygen and is able to make his way down and survive this horrendous uh, event. And so yeah. you being there was strategically important, you know, and you're, you're thinking of him and supporting him, um, not only during what he was going through, but before and after is, is, is critical. And we talked in the last episode about relational support and how we don't really do things alone. So how God was there for him, how you were there for him, how friends were there for him. Um, all that is incredibly important. And so what I want to do is tell a quick story and I'm not going to go too long, but I do need to share this because I, I touched on this in a previous episode about how eight weeks ago, I, I did something interesting. <laughs> I, I'm a decent skier. I would say, Ben, would you agree? Intermediate, maybe advanced intermediate. Sure. Uh, I don't have. <laughs> okay. Well, I view myself as advanced intermediate. Um, by no means fantastic, but I can ski. I can handle myself. And back when we could ski uh, two months ago, I was out with a couple of buddies and we were skiing up on the mountain and I, I was feeling really good. And I saw this gigantic jump. Uh, right there on the mountain. And my buddy and I are talking going up uh, and he said, Hey, look at that jump over there. And I said, I, I bet I could do that. And he said, I'll bet you could too. That's all I needed. So feeling as good as I felt, I got off the lift and I came around and I looked at this thing and, and I, like I knew in my brain that this might be a bad idea. Um, it was a tad risky so to speak. <laughs> and it was a good 10 foot jump. It was very big. Never done one like that before. Um, I've done the little tiny little jumps, you know, going down the hill, but nothing like that. So feeling kind of masculine and, you know, like I can pull this thing off. Um, I zoomed down and I hit that thing. And uh, I would call it an uncalculated risk. <laughs> I did not calculate and I went up and, and here's the thing. It'd be one thing if I had actually prepared for it. Like if I had actually trained and studied and learned, like when you do a jump, you need to position yourself a certain way. You need a certain amount of speed. You need to lean a certain way. I did none of that. I just thought I was going to go up and over and it would be that simple. So I went down and I flew off this jump and I knew the moment I came off of it, it was not going to end well. And so I started falling backwards and I crashed and, uh, and, and suffered the consequences. So uh, one of my skis popped off, the other one didn't and twisted around and I had a really severe boot fracture. And I knew it when I looked down and my leg was moving around outside the boot. Uh, so it was bad. It was a tib fib open fracture, pretty nasty, hauled me off the hill, went to the hospital, had emergency surgery, all that stuff. So here's my point. Uh, we <laughs> called my wife when I'm heading down the hill to let her know what happened. And uh, the question was, how did it happen? It was a great call. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, as you can imagine. And the question was, okay, so how did it happen? Well, it happened skiing. Okay, well, what, what happened during the skiing? And we'd let her know that I did a, a, a jump. And her thought was, well, when do you do jumps? So I got home or she got to the hospital and she was very supportive, very loving and there for me. And I want to be careful not to get in trouble here with this podcast. You know, she's the hero. I'm the fool. Um, I asked her as I'm in the hospital, I said, so are you upset with me? And she was like a little bit. <laughs> and I said, well, well, why? I, I, I got injured. She said, well, you got injured doing something kind of dumb. You, 
you were jumping and you know you shouldn't have. Now, Kent, you're 44 years old. You're not 25 <laughs> anymore. You don't do jumping. You've never done jumping. That was a foolish thing to do. And yeah, I'm a little ticked off because now you're injured and now we're all put out and we got all the medical bills and all this stuff is going to happen. And you did that. So I said, so if I hit a tree, you'd be okay with me? And she said, yeah. <laughs> because I did a dumb jump and I broke my leg, you're a little bit upset. She's like, yeah. So here's the question I want to ask you. Um, <laughs> Brian does a lot of uh, sort of big adventures and does what some would consider to be sort of crazy things that you could get hurt or even worse, you could die doing them. Mm -hmm. And you know that going into it. But Brian, you're prepared, you're trained. And, and from your perspective, I'd love to hear how much preparation, how important it is before you try to do something foolishly. Like you don't just say, I'm going to go hike Everest tomorrow and then go do it. There's a lot of training and preparation and thinking through so that it becomes a calculated risk so it's wise and not foolish. And then Joanna, I'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear from you. How do you cope with these sorts of adventures you being a therapist, probably being high in empathy and compassion, it's got to be so hard to watch him go do this stuff, knowing what the risks mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. And so I think those two things would be so cool to hear from both of you that might help. It would help me personally <laughs> in my relationship. <laughs> you know, uh, It also might help our listeners who, who are trying to struggle with these dynamics of wanting to, mm -hmm. to push their limits and go further. But how do I do that in a calculated way? And then secondly, if there's people involved in my life, like I have a spouse or I have kids, how can I do that in a way where they can be supportive um, and included mm -hmm. in that? Does that make sense? So yeah. I'll just turn it over to you guys and you can talk about those two things. Well, Real yeah. quick, Thank you. Brian, yeah. weren't you supposed to be heading to Everest again before coronavirus hit? Was I? Yeah, I thought you were headed back. You were going to go do another trip or maybe I was wrong. Oh, uh, no, no, no. 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 <laughs> No, I think I'm one and done. Yeah. So I can kick it off as far as the calculated risks and how I prepare. Um, so in order to calculate anything, you need data. So you have to know what you are capable of, what you're getting into. If there's, you know, if there's a high probability of, of death, it's probably not a, a good thing, no matter how you calculate it. Um, and during my talk at the, you know, in Idaho at the prayer breakfast, I threw out the stats of there's 7 billion people on this earth, 100 billion to have ever existed. Only a few thousand have climbed Everest. So for the most part, people don't know. They're brave behind a keyboard. They'll listen to the media. So they're going to, you know, get their ill-informed information from wherever. Um, you guys have your own, you know, things that you do in life that people probably call you crazy for doing, but that's because the other people aren't close to those things that they're, that you're doing. So you get that perspective. So when it comes to mountaineering, you know, I've had a lifetime of adventure, jumping out of helicopters, you know, I'm highly trained, lots of mountains around the world. So I'm able to calculate it based on the data, the data that, I have for myself what I'm truly capable of, you know, I've pushed myself beyond my limits and then retracted back, you know, within that safe area. And then, you know, in, in the mountains, doing my research and understanding the routes and the gear and everything to make it up and down safely and to prepare for what's within my control 
and then to respond to things outside of my control. So based on that, I have a pretty successful resume of surviving. And I really want to keep that. You know, the biggest things in my life, and my priorities are God, my family, and then all the other fluff that comes afterward. Like these adventures are part of who I am. And I'm so fortunate to have a wife who realizes that, who is with me when we were, we were dating when I was in the Navy. Mm. So I was leaving for six months, you know, jumping out of helicopters and playing, uh, you know, that guy over in the Persian Gulf and whatnot. And then she's been there all along the way. So mm. I think my success is sitting right next to me. So you're saying, uh, I want to draw this out a second, um, your track record, that the fact that you had done smaller mountains, so to speak, you've done other things along the way and been successful. Um, you built up to this, you built up to Everest, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and so you had a real confidence that you could get there. You knew it would push you beyond your limits, but you had already scaled other mountains and you, were, you knew that your abilities, like if anyone can do it, you could do it. So you don't just wake up and do something like that. You know, you actually work your way up to it. You look at the data, like you said, not just the data and what's out there, but you, you draw upon your experiences and you say, I've pushed myself before and I made it, I can do it again. And I would, I would think Joanna, you can speak to this, but did that help you sort of cope with this whole thing? Cause you'd seen him successfully navigate very perilous situations mm -hmm. and you knew you could trust him. Oh, sure. Yeah. If he had wanted to do Everest first thing and had no prior experience, that would have been a whole different story, right? He had yeah. done other mountains. He had done local stuff. Um, and he had also chosen to turn around and, on Denali. Mm. Um, and so I knew that um, he wasn't just after a summit, right? He's going to make Calcul there's calculated risk, but he's going to make um, informed decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and so based on the information at hand, he makes those informed decisions and has made track record, made the best decisions for him mm -hmm. at that time. So that's mm -hmm. definitely, I think, uh, helped in knowing, um, you know, the risks are out there. There's lots out of his control for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but from with what's within his control, mm -hmm. he's making the best decisions with that. So if you don't mind, um, indulge me yeah. here. I, I kind of want to go to that situation on Everest where, okay, so the Sherpa's there with you, uh, Brian, and Sherpa's not feeling well, so the Sherpa turns back, and you had to make that decision, the calculated decision. Okay, um, will I scale the rest of this mountain by myself? No, you probably knew that very few, if even one other person had successfully done that, and you're in the death zone. So you're literally passing bodies that have been on the mountain, you know, for ages and you made that decision. So I would love to know what's going on in your head when you're calculating what was out of your control and you didn't expect, because it sounds like you didn't expect to really go up to the top totally by yourself until you had to. And then secondly, I want to ask you, Joanna, to follow up with that. Um, did you know? that he made the decision to, to go on on his own to the top? And how did you feel about that? <laughs> so first, Brian, you, what was going on in your head to make that decision? And then Joanne, I'd love to know, how did you yeah. feel about that? Okay. So, so you're basically chalking this up to a 10 foot jump that I'm about to hit. <laughs> on <skis>. Yes. <laughs> it seems kind of, I don't know, crazy. 
no, so I've soloed a lot of mountains. So there's, I, I train alone. I've stood on top of a lot of mountains by myself. So I'm very comfortable in that situation. And on Everest, I actually was alone for mm. the majority of the time because okay. you have to acclimate. It takes a month just to acclimatize. So it's climb high, sleep low. A lot of that was just by myself. Um, but it, it wasn't just a, you know, pasong. My Sherpa friend isn't feeling well. Oh, good. You know, head down. I'm going to head up. Like it was a real conversation. Mm. And he was actually going to wait right where we were, you know, pretty close to where we were. I was going to go up head back down and we'd go down together. He ended up feeling more sick. You know, it's all survival up there. So he ended up going down to high camp. You know, I didn't know that at the time. There's also factors. There's the fixed lines. There's ropes that I'm attached. I'm a part of that mountain. If I fall, I only fall to the next anchor point. Mm -hmm. So from a calculated standpoint, there's a lot of safety factors there. Um, it's Everest. I mean, it's, it's a big deal, but I had to, you know, how was I feeling? How was the weather? Everything I was factoring everything out. So in that moment, that life and death decision-making moment, everything looked great. If I'd have known I was going to go blind, mm. of course I would have turned around. Right. That wasn't part of the plan. Right. And, but you, you cracked your goggles, right? Didn't something happen with your, your goggles and that probably yeah. was flying through your mind a little bit, huh? Not at all. So um and yeah afterward of course <laughs> but um the day prior yeah they had cracked I, I dropped them and i had to rip the internal lens out so basically cut their effectiveness in half however on everest you climb all through the night so i didn't have goggles on going through the night because it's pitch black i have a headlamp i'm cruising up the sun hadn't even rose yet mm-hmm. so that it really wasn't a thought at that point nor did i even think that you know they were affected you know ineffective goggles i figure they still work so yeah it's just all these factors you know after the fact it's like duh you know and everyone who's you know smart on the internet can <laughs> trash me and that's fine but it's life and i'm just so blessed to be here and to have a supportive wife yeah and well you and you you talked in the last episode about you know you, you're you're a guy of faith you know so you believed you weren't really alone you know in the sense that you know god was with you and supporting which you felt very clearly on your way down, you know, in mm-hmm. the blind descent. So in many ways, did that bolster you? Like, did you just had a, you had a confidence clearly in your own skills and capacity and experience to, to go to the top, you know, and that was not intimidating. Uh, but you had a sense that other people were with you and pulling for you. You know, I, I would imagine you knew Joanna was at home and you didn't want to go home probably with a story like, well, I almost made it. You know, <laughs> I didn't get up there. I, I can get here. So I guess how, what kind of reserves did you draw upon to help you make that calculated decision? Was it knowing that God was with you and that you had family praying for you and you had people counting on you? Like, what was that? Um, I wouldn't, I actually wouldn't say that was a, a huge part at that point. You know, that was a huge part in like probably the whole climb. But in that moment, hmm. I wasn't overthinking a lot of things. It okay. was, it's a mountain and mountains by nature, you know, it's, it's dumb. If you think about it, you climb up and you climb back down. So, you know, what's the appeal? It's miserable. The death zone, you know, you could die. It's not enough air to survive up there. So I wouldn't say that that was like a major driving point. That was kind of after when I went blind and felt the presence and the miracle, everything else. I think in that moment, it was a song and I were climbing at the top. He felt sick. He says, it's going to wait. He tells me continue up. I say, okay. Mm-hmm. 
uh, things, you know, kind of hit the fan and from there. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to mislead or give, you know, yeah. credit otherwise. It just, it, it was what it was. So maybe the principle then is um, don't overthink it. Maybe sometimes the the principle Mm -hmm. is that you could have really sat down, like the data matters and and all those things you're you're working through, but you didn't sit and like think through every possible outcome and you're not paralyzed by analysis, so to speak. Mm-hmm. At some point, right. you have to just go. Like, I'm, I'm just going right. to do this. I've got a good feeling. I've got a good sense. I think it's looking good. I feel good about my calculations. I'm just going to go for it. So maybe the principle there then from your story is don't always overthink everything. Don't suffer analysis paralysis. Just, mm-hmm. just go ahead and drive. You have a sense that you can do it. Go for it. Is that right? Yeah. And sometimes the worst decision is no decision. <clears throat> like the, yeah. the worst leaders that I've seen are there's just analysis over analysis you got to have that data but at some point especially in the military charge that hill yeah you know let's not sit here and just you know keep getting bombs hucked on us like we got to do something and if it's the wrong decision at least it was a decision and we can learn from that i like that okay joanna how about you how how did you did you know first of all that he was going to get to the top did you know that he was in such a perilous situation about like the snow blindness when you started to pray for him? Um, so no, I knew, so I, I was actually away at a scrapbook retreat. (laughs) (laughs) Extreme. Awesome. Extreme scrapbooking. (laughs) Um, So uh, the weekend that I knew that he was going to be attempting summit and it was all based on that weather window as well. So even when he's calculating, I was thinking about like, he also had like a specific weather window too that um, played into that calculation and so forth. But yeah, so I knew the weekend um, that like, okay, he's going to be attempting at some point like this weekend, um, roughly uh, May 14th, 15th. And so um I was there scrapping away (laughs) and uh, I felt actually, um, I just felt uh, prompted to go pray for him. I felt Mm. like all of a sudden something was wrong. Mm. And so, and I didn't know any information at that point. Um, And I just got this feeling, this overall feeling of, I think something's gone wrong. So I went back to my room and started praying and um, checked in with others and no one had, um, there was there was some connections um, because there was another guy that was also um, potentially going to be climbing at the same time. And so, but nobody had heard anything. And so mm. I just continued to pray and stayed in my room that evening. Um, and then when I went to bed and I woke up, I felt at peace and I hadn't heard anything. Um, and then I was totally at peace that day, went home, was with the kids and um, still hadn't heard anything. Um, but still felt this overwhelming sense of peace. Mm. Um, and so then it was that actually that night at mm. like 1am when I got a call from Brian saying that um, I'm blind, I've, oh. I've summited and I have to get home. And he was bawling on the oh. phone and it cut out. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> I wasn't crying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were both crying. Uh, so <laughs> it's okay, Brian. So it's all point, safe here. <laughs> yeah. uh, at that point I didn't know if he was permanently blind. Is he ever gonna mm-hmm. see our children again with his mm-hmm. eyesight? You know, just all these thoughts going through my head. Um mm. 
and just praying that, you know, hopefully it was snow blindness. And, um, and so I pr was praying obviously a lot, um, that night and then went to sleep. Uh, and then it wasn't until about 24 hours later that I actually heard from him. Mm. Um, but the crazy thing is it wasn't until I think that he, well, once I checked in with people and gave people an update, and then also when he came home that we found out more information about other people, close friends or people in our church that also felt prompted to pray at the same time. Oh. And so there was a whole group of people praying um, when he needed it most. Mm. Um, and so that's just I think, such an amazing testimony to the power of prayer. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And you, so that's, Joanna, as, as a support, I mean, you know, you have a story too, you know, and I think another episode I'd love to have you share sort of, you know, your adventures as well. But in this situation, I'm, I just am curious, um, your faith, you know, in the sense mm -hmm. of, um, does that play a big role in the peace mm -hmm. that you're experiencing in a lot? You know, so supporting him in being true to who he is and going after these adventures, even with the risks involved, is, would you say that's a, a big part of sort of how you rest and sleep at night? when he's doing these sort of yeah. things? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that's the pretty much the only way <laughs> that I've been okay in, um, in being supportive and, um, and just having, I think having that ability and strength to support him that God is gifted. He's given me that. Um, and that without him, um, it would be, it would be much harder to, um, I think, have that um, a softened heart towards his adventures. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that I call, I kind of call it my miracle on the mountain because hmm. when he was climbing, I str I struggled a lot with um, anxiety before, and so him going and doing Everest was um, such a anxiety provoking adventure right for him and for me being at home with two little kids hmm. and trying to hold it all together but um during that time um i actually our church was doing soul revolution if you're familiar with that mm -hmm. book and yeah. you connect um every hour um there's a timer that goes off and you're praying mm -hmm. and so um the first climb he did our church did it as well totally like hmm. God had this all planned out, right? Just part mm -hmm. of his beautiful woven story of during the time when I went his first climb, we were doing that as a church. And so I learned that method of every hour connecting and praying. And so that gave me such peace um, in praying for him and his safety and just giving it over to God so that I didn't carry that weight on me. Mm -hmm. That's so, so cool. Super powerful. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I'd like to ask mm -hmm. related to um, just bringing some things together that are helpful for like our growth junkie listeners. Because like, Brian, when I think about your story up on the mountain, like there's an aspect of it where you're a professional, right? You're, this isn't some weekend recreation thing for you. Like you are an advanced professional in that environment. And, and when you're at that level, you calculate things differently. Um, I'm in no way going to compare myself. I mean, there was a period of my life where I played professional golf as an athlete and you calculate things differently compared to just being a recreational guy out trying to get the ball in the hole. Um, it's just, it's a different experience, 
based on background and all those different things, right? But I think this also applies to relationships. And, and I want to ask you guys about relational endurance, because just as you've, as you've developed physical endurance to be able to do something like that, you all in your marriage have developed, in a sense, relational endurance. And, you know, Joanne, I'm interested to really hear your perspective on this as a therapist, but what are the kinds of things that have happened for you guys over a period of time that have, where you've cultivated intentionally, or you just developed this relational endurance in your marriage? Because like your children were small at that time. Now they're teenagers. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of factors at play. So if if you were to take that concept of, of relational endurance and, expand on it, giving attributes or characteristics of, from your perspective of what you think are valuable and the things that you've Mm -hmm. developed, how would you answer that question? Yeah, well, I think a lot of it is growth, right? So coming from a standpoint of personal growth, um, which then translates into relational growth, right? So us both, um, working in different areas, like through Bible study to support our spiritual growth, right, and our um, personal practices um, from that standpoint, and then also understanding our personalities and how we're wired differently, mm-hmm. um, understanding our love languages and how those are different, um, and so I think it's a culmination of um, all these different things that come together to help with then relational and being able to understand how we're wired differently. Um, but that's also, again, a gift from God. He, he's wired us differently, right? And so um, having compassion and empathy for that and those differences and supporting one another um, as well. I think it's important to note, I don't know if we, we covered this or not, but Joanna and I could not be more opposite. <laughs> like if you were to do a, a spreadsheet, hundred percent there is very little overlap and i'm not even like exaggerating our personality assessments whether it's disc or enneagram or whatever it's always i mean Mm. on paper like when when we were dating you know we we dated for what six years before we got married (laughs) because all we did was argue and fight and we had to figure this out we went Mm. to a counselor the first thing she just watched our interaction she said (laughs) just stand up and leave like like run from each other <laughs> there's no way you're gonna make it and Trenda's like you know she's listening and I'm thinking challenge accepted <laughs> have you guys so, yeah I think the growth thing is, is super important you know there's on paper we, we are not a match we <laughs> we are far from it and that is the biggest miracle I think in our life and it's a, it's a miracle of growth yeah, yeah, that's cool. but it, it takes work, right? So that's mm-hmm. that's a piece to it too. That without that work and investing, mm-hmm. um, then I don't think the marriage would have survived at all. So mm-hmm. I think it's definitely a matter of having God-centered, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then the work to have the growth um, to be able to relationally have be good with each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and choose to love each other, right? So it's also that that I choose to serve you and love you yeah. over what my desire might be or needs might be. Um, and mm-hmm. if both parties are doing that, mm-hmm. um, then they're going to have that 
um, God blessed marriage. Yeah. yeah. Tons of grace. Yeah. From, from you to me. <laughs> <laughs> Wise man. <laughs> you familiar with the Enneagram and your types and have you taken it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a nine. You're, what was that? You're a nine and I'm guessing Brian's probably a three. <laughs> he was actually a seven and his right under was a three mm-hmm. and right under for me was a five. Yeah. So. Wow. <laughs> a seven, three, right? Like an enthusiast achiever type. Uh-huh. Yeah. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. <laughs> well guys, we are, I think we probably need to wrap this up. We could do more later, but we're wow. super grateful for you taking the time to be on here and, and we just uh, appreciate the insight because mm-hmm. I think most couples are wired differently. And we have a difficult time finding that balance. Uh, I would say one of the biggest challenges couples face often is uh, they know they're different. They just have a hard time figuring out how to talk about their differences, mm-hmm. bringing language to that and, and learning how to love each other in that space. So thanks for, for giving us that example and sharing that with us today and, mm-hmm. um, and taking the time to be on here with us. We, we're, we're blessed by it. And so We are grateful for our listeners, you growth junkies out there. And if you want to learn more about Love and Transformation Institute, you can do so at loveandtransformation.org. And uh, there's probably not a book out yet from the Dickinsons, but I'm sure there will be one in the future. And and when it happens, we will have you guys back on to talk about it. (laughs) Thanks again for being with us uh, today, growth junkies. And we look forward to being with you next time.